the good news <laughs> of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How often have we heard these words and on hearing them felt a leap of excitement and a heart-stopping joy. Walter Wink, the New Testament scholar, suggests that we shouldn't even open the book unless we are prepared to receive its power. Creating such an exuberant response is what Mark may have set out to do in composing his gospel, the proclamation of good news in the violence of Rome in the sixth decade of the first century. The gospel is a description of the ecstatic experience of God's love in Christ. Mark was setting down in writing his own experiences and the experience of others for the benefit of the small communities that were followers of Christ. And the reason for doing this must have been that the people who had seen Jesus, who had heard his voice, who had experienced his healing, that all of them were beginning to die. The new generations needed to hear the same message and be brought into the same experience of Christ. So Mark chose his words carefully, reporting his knowledge and his experience, seeking to establish beyond any doubt that even though Jesus no longer was on the earth, the transforming experience of God's love endured. <clears throat> For the poor, then as now, there were few options and little joy in life. The drudgery of work, the prospect of an early death, and the near impossibility of a better life were demotivating factors to any kind of improvement. Surrounded by the opulence of Rome, rebuilt by the Emperor Augustus, the splendor of wealth and power very visible, few may have thought about life being meaningful beyond these things. Even in our time, I had little idea of how the rich might live until I heard about the series Succession from this pulpit <laughs> and watched with morbid fascination a visual representation of wealth and its corruption of a humanity that I believed was universal. Roman villas with running water, libraries, rich art, and sumptuous feasts were the first century equivalent of this kind of excess. But Jesus overturned the values and systems of his day, bringing about a new and much more durable and meaningful existence in the kingdom of God. As Mark toiled over the writing of his gospel, we imagine him doing so 
in the light of a smoky lamp recalling and reliving the powerful experience of transformation, of new life in Christ that superseded everything else anybody had ever known or practiced. Mark would have been keenly aware that his audience were mostly people who could not read and would have depended on a literate member of their group to read to them. And so from the very beginning, the gospel was written to be proclaimed. Its beauty and convictions ring out in this form versus the silent and rapid reading that we might do in our own devotional moments. The Jewish followers of Christ were very familiar with the Hebrew scriptures and so Mark's use of references and quotations resonated as Mark presented his thesis. The followers of Christ are the renewed Israel whom God calls to a new life with a new mind in this new age, expanding vastly the idea of a chosen people to now include all of humanity. The message of God's justice was now articulated in Christ's overwhelming love that goes beyond human imagination. The teaching and healing of Jesus represent this love that makes living through the hardest human experiences possible. The healing that Christ brings to all manner of diseases and the banishing of demons that oppress and constrict lives is the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit and that is what Mark desired to communicate unambiguously. Seen in this light, the gospel not only speaks but its words reverberate with the power of God's love that has no limits. And all of this beginning with this first example of healing. This description is so vivid and with its economy of phrase is arresting in what was going on. They left the synagogue, they entered the house, Simon's mother-in-law was ill. He took her hand, he lifted her up, the fever left, and she served her guests. We wonder about what must have gone through the mind of this woman, loved deeply by her family, so ill that Jesus was notified as soon as he arrived in their house and who then experienced the thrill of healing. This first healing is the prelude to what comes a few hours later that evening because word must have spread from neighbor to neighbor throughout the neighborhood and the town the whole city, we are told, was gathered at the door. And Jesus moves through them, curing illnesses, casting out demons. How many did he touch? What did he say? What did people feel? And how did they know that they were cured? We have to pause here 
to reflect on the purpose of these actions of Jesus. What does healing mean if you don't even know that you are sick? What did Jesus envision for the people of this city in the long term? Perfect health and well-being. We have to look further to grasp the meaning of health and sickness and of what possession by demons might mean in our time. And the quotation I'm going to read might help us understand the complexity of this problem of sickness and possession. The real hopeless victims of mental illness are to be found among those who appear to be most normal. Many of them are normal because they are so well adjusted to our mode of existence, because their human voice has been silenced so early in their lives that they do not even struggle or suffer or develop symptoms as the neurotic does. They are normal, not in what may be called the absolute sense of the word, they are normal only in relation to a profoundly abnormal society. Their perfect adjustment to that abnormal society is a measure of their mental sickness. These millions of abnormally normal people living without fuss in a society to which if they were fully human beings, they ought not to be adjusted. These are the words of Aldous Huxley writing in 1958 in Brave New World Revisited. Paul describes the human condition in 2 Corinthians saying, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the likeness of God. Let's dwell on these two conditions for a moment, a seeming normality that masks the pain of abuse, assault, injustice, unfairness, slander, profiteering, the denial of love, self-recrimination, violence, and hatred in many forms. The pain and cruelty that we bear robs us of rest and occupies our imagination. It prevents us from ever experiencing deep joy or allowing us to recognize the operation of God's grace in our lives. And then we suffer from serious blindness. The blindness over centuries as seen in the absurd gap between actions such as owning enslaved people and preaching about sinners in the hands of an angry God. Or our own blindness to things like climate justice, to seeing the world as God's creation and ourselves as stewards not rapacious exploiters, or the blindness that keeps us enwrapped in the standards and preoccupations of the world, looking for more and new and novel things to consume 
because we don't know what else to do. Christ can set us free from these demons, the demons of resentment, scars from the pain we have suffered, unresolved relationships resulting in our incapacity to love. Christ can cure our blindness to the goodness of creation that includes all people and fill us with a love manifest in our words and actions. We can become renewed creatures of a new creation, a new creation the experience of which frees us from the fears of illness, dependent relationships, and even death. It brings us instead to freedom and a boundless joy that joins us to the Incarnation, into divine wholeness. It is this joy that we long for and will find in joining together when we break bread, a joy that accompanies bursting out of the bonds of the world's hold on us. Last year, during our Ash Wednesday service, a friend of mine, a tech guy, not given to any extravagance in speech, described to me his experience of coming up to the railing and suddenly feeling that he was there with Christ, alone and nobody else. Yes, these experiences, the experience of Paul, of those whom Jesus healed, the experience of being liberated from our bonds is real. May God Almighty, through Christ our Lord, through his limitless grace, draw us into his healing presence today and forever. Amen.